euthanasia. Men in my community are terrified. Budget blunder. I want people to stand up. A reshuffle. We have made mistakes. And retirement. I want my life back. Welcome to One News Inside Parliament, a weekly catch-up about the stories that we've been covering on One News. I'm Jessica Much Mackay. And I'm Mikey Sherman. Thanks for being with us this week. And it's been a big one. We've it has had been a big one. Lots of interesting surprises and a few set pieces as well. So should we start off with our peaks this week? Let's start positive. What's okay. your peak of the week? My peak of the week is probably the only peak for Phil Twyford actually <laughs> <laughs> this Ouch. week. Yeah. Um, it's been a rough week for uh, the former housing minister. Um, but before his exit um, via the reshuffle, he did manage to get a little one up on Judith Collins. So let's take a quick look at that. Is he anticipating being the minister to announce it? Well, um, just as was the case with the members' infrastructure portfolio, portfolio responsibilities are solely a matter for the leader. saving the best to last there. I quite like it. Um, my peak this week is that we are going into a three-week recess, which I'm sure next week in podcast will be my pit because we won't have had as, a, as many exciting stories. But I think at the start of the recess, they all go and you have some time to do your own stories and catch up on OAAs. And it's a little bit of a relief when they all leave and depart but it is a bit quieter so three weeks is quite a long it's a big one yeah so lots of mps are actually going away so um we'll we'll keep you posted on whether that stays my peak but what about your pit my pit this week has to be uh gabrielle mcclough um the outgoing um secretary of the treasury the report into the investigation by the state services commission came out in regards to his handling of the budget um blunder the release of the information um the accessing of that information by the national party and he did not front yesterday and i think he should have fronted um it was a big deal it was a big breach of the treasury security systems the guy's about to head off to ireland to head the central bank over there and the least he could have done um given especially one of the key findings of the report was that he didn't um take responsibility yesterday he had an opportunity to do that and he still refused. And that kind of links to my pit this week as well about not fronting um, Phil Twyford yesterday and Megan Woods both refusing to front up even though they'd been um, the big changes in this reshuffle. And I think also the fact that it was at 3.15 which really presses you for um, television to kind of gather all the talent you need and things like that and it did make it a bit of a rush yesterday. So I think those two things combined probably were my um, pit from yesterday. But let's take a look at that reshuffle and how that all played out. For 20 months, he's been the man in charge of KiwiBuild. Yeah, I can see. Yeah, there's not much to go. But his time is up. It is too big a job for one person. We have made mistakes. Three ministers will now try and fix it. It has proven to be no small task and one we know we must do better in. Megan Woods is now the housing minister. She'll lead the team and be in charge of KiwiBuild. Chris Farfoy becomes Associate Housing Minister in charge of public housing. He keeps the broadcasting portfolio. Phil Twyford will still chip in with urban development and he picks up economic development too. 
Mr Twyford refused to answer questions on the reshuffle, but in a statement said he's frustrated not to be able to deliver on KiwiBuild and he's put his all into it. This is what he had to say earlier this afternoon. Is that fair that it is a massive workload to huge portfolios? Look, that's just not an issue for me. The new housing minister now has a hefty workload. She'll keep Christchurch regeneration and the energy portfolio. She also refused to front up, but in a statement says KiwiBuild isn't working and big changes are on the way. There would be benefit from bringing in a fresh pair of eyes. They can play around with the housing portfolios, but there's no disguising the fact that just stopping talking about KiwiBuild won't cut it. They have no plan for housing. Former journalist Chris Farfoy has now made it to the inner circle of Cabinet. I grew up in a state house, so um, having that privilege of a state house has meant a lot for me and my family so uh, taking over that challenge is something that I'm looking forward to. And Porto Williams got a promotion too. It was pretty <laughs> exciting um, especially when your phone comes up with our Prime Minister. Mika Faitari is still out in the cold after allegations she bruised a staff member but the Prime Minister isn't ruling her out in the future. It wasn't uh, uh, the right time. It's now time for the government to reset its whole KiwiBuild programme with a new minister at the helm. So I think what this reshuffle does is it sends a really strong message from the government that KiwiBuild has been a disaster, it's not working. And instead of saying, oh, we're going to shy away from this, we're going to try and um, recalibrate, no, no, we're going to pump more ministers, more resources into the whole thing. And and I just think that Phil Twyford was too tainted by this. His name was too associated with the Kiwis, this, the failures of KiwiBuild. And bring in... Megan Woods, um, safe pair of hands, um, proved to be calm in a crisis after the Christchurch attacks. And I just think she's, and her versus Judith Collins, is going to be a fun time in the house, I reckon. Oh, actually, that's the first time that I've actually pictured that um, dueling duo. Yeah. I think that will be quite good. And I think it was interesting that we saw Megan Woods um, uh, answering questions in the house yesterday um, and very strategic also that she was um, moved in her seating next to Phil Twyford. Um, and we kind of, um, just on that, we kind of noted um, as we were sitting there in our office watching Question Time roll out on Parliament TV that Phil Twyford did look quite sad when Megan Woods was answering and I guess now we know is because he knew that this, here, is, here was the woman taking over basically his job. Um, I think the three-pronged approach is a good one for such a huge problem for the government. It allows them some wriggle room, also allows them to be able to switch and change out spokespeople when the heat gets too much for one particular minister. Um, and we know how um, that affected Phil Twyford and his performance over time, just grilling after grilling. Um, you know, it just it wears a, a, a person down. Um, I think it's very charitable that he remains um, with the urban development, so still in that... Um, team there for housing and also very charitable that he was given the economic development portfolio. A good recognition I think of um, um, the skill set that he has, the seniority that he has. It was unfortunate, it was always going to be a difficult task for him, KiwiBuild. He, he, I always remember Phil Twyford being very strong in opposition. I used to get a lot of stories from him on housing. He used to press National quite hard in opposition. Um, just disappointing that obviously it was too hard when 
when he finally got into that power seat. I think the comfort he might take from it as well is that he was doing the job by himself and they have to bring in three people to replace him. So I do think there needs to be some accountability from the Prime Minister as well on that, that it is her job to um, organise the workload and and distribute that. And the fact that um, I guess she kind of let... Um, him fail in that in a way I feel like she does need to take some responsibility for that and I put that to her in the press conference yesterday and she's, she was like yeah we do need to learn from that so I do think that um, even though he, there were obvious mistakes in this and we had you know targets that shouldn't have been there and all of that kind of thing I do think that um, Phil Twyford hasn't lost his he's still in cabinet obviously he hasn't lost his ranking and he's picked up another portfolio so I think that's recognition that he held his own for quite a long time in a portfolio that was that was really struggling so I do I do think it's very interesting and with that economic development portfolio that he will be picking up he'll be taking over the issue of um, water quality uh, which is essentially around the issue of water rights for Māori so so I look forward to going toe to toe with him on those issues Yeah. Um, and what about Chris Farfoy really good to see um, recognition for the hard work and um, and um, that he's been doing um, since he sort of got his little promotion last time around yeah and he is the big winner I guess um, He's a former One News journalist, so um, it's it's good to see him and rise from you know way down here with us <laughs> to the lofty heights of cabinet, with the doors being swung open to welcome him into the inner sanctum of the cabinet table. Um, I think it was also interesting in a stand up yesterday. Um, he and, and it was mentioned in my chat too that he said, you know, I I grew up in a in a state house, and um, now I'm going to be in charge of it. So I do think that that. Um, will be one of the things that will give him some first-hand experience of that as well. A huge test ahead, of course, for Poto Williams, um, who uh, comes into the mix as well. As um, a surprise, I think, a it's huge fair to say. shock. Yeah. And, I, and, and, and I think it was fair to say that she was also surprised, she <laughs> yeah. said so, when yeah. she received the Prime Minister's phone call. Um, I wonder if that does play to the criticism from the National Party that they do lack that depth. Um, uh, it could be argued either way. I mean, she has sort of been a um, sort of uh, what deputy speaker in the House. So she said yesterday in the interview that she's used to um, having to wrangle um, the motley lot of MPs when they're, um, you know, sort of in that debating chamber. Um, so this will be a real test for her. Um, it's a good opportunity and we'll see how she goes. Yeah, and Mika Faitari is the one who wasn't considered in all of this. So there was uh, the Prime Minister refused to rule her out right Very until interesting, yesterday Matt. and then um, came out and said, look, I'm leaving the door open, but she's not completely ruled out in the future. So perhaps the the, the environment that we're in at the moment um, with, with bullying and, and this allegation that she bruised the staff member, perhaps not the right timing for her and she also went and did a, an interview with TVNZ's Marae program as well where she basically didn't show very much remorse and I wonder how much that played into the Prime Minister's decision making too but um, you know she's a strong leader in the Māori caucus and um, it'll be interesting they may be feeling a little bit unheard and not listened to. I think that um, through my conversations with them that they were always realistic about um, the Francis report into the sort of bullying culture here at Parliament um, really hurting her chances in terms of um, that timing for her as the Prime Minister mentioned it wasn't the right time and you know 
we have to agree that the allegations that she faced were not um, were very serious ones and so um, it would have been a big call and the Māori caucus had just had a major sort of um, uh, fight to get um, the budget wins that they did get so I think that um, they uh, will just take those budget wins um, uh, have a rest now and um, won't be too sort of won't be kicking up a fuss too much around that Mekawhai City non-appointment Well from the Labour reshuffle to Gabrielle McClough the Head of Treasury shuffling out of the job, let's take a look at um, the investigation and how that played out 22 pages of secret budget information released by National sparking a major meltdown for the government. This material has not been leaked from the Beehive. But finding out how the information got out was up to Treasury boss Gabrielle McClough. His actions scrutinised today by his boss. I've concluded that Mr McClough failed uh, to take personal responsibility for the failure of the Treasury systems. He acted in good faith and the account that we've given was an accurate one of the events as they unfolded. The investigation found in his advice to Finance Minister Grant Robertson, Gabrielle McClough acted in good faith and without political bias, but that his use of the phrase deliberate and systematically hacked was unreasonable. Hacking has so many definitions, which I include in the report, I think it's useful. It's an unuseful word to use. Calling in police was also in good faith and wasn't politically influenced. However, the use of the bolt analogy was criticised. Somebody has found that uh, weak bolt. In fact, a simple search of the Treasury website was all it took. When things go wrong, I don't want ducking, diving, running for cover spinning. I want people to stand up. Despite Gabrielle McClough's failings, Crown Law advised none of it warrants his sacking. And while today is his last day in the job as he takes over over at Ireland's central bank, no offer of resignation either. Our biggest and most influential agencies that helps this country run. This is about it looking like a Mickey Mouse operation. In a statement, Gabrielle McClough apologised that budget information was not kept secure. So a real mixed bag there for Gabrielle McClough and those um, investigation findings. Um, he acted in good faith um, uh, for most of um, everything that he did uh, during his handling, um, but there were a few areas and, and they, uh, that needed improvement and those were the, the quite public things that he did, like the bolt analogy that became so infamous um, around this whole story. You know, I remember us sort of talking, if I hear that bolt analogy one more, time God help me but what happened is that he started so you started hearing it I think it was first on morning report and it was it was a really strong analogy and then he said it I think maybe on the AM show or on ZB and then by the time he got to the breakfast interview it had become like this almost <laughs> one minute long saga describing this this bolt and you just thought oh you've got to keep it snappy yeah. um, he obviously caught on to a good thing and kept running with it. And the investigator John Ombler said um, you know it wasn't the right analogy to use because basically as we've learnt it was hardly um, a weakened bolt but more just a simple um search of the website, yeah. of Treasury's website. Yeah, and I think it was interesting um, with him as well that he, the fact that he didn't respond through most of this and then the fact that he's now going off to this job in Ireland and he basically goes with a blot on his copybook but not a lot um, that Peter Hughes 
could really do. And listening to parts of your story, you could almost sense that frustration with Peter Hughes. Like I do think he takes the fact of holding the state sector to account quite seriously. You got that sense in in his interview. And the fact that, you know, the timing of all of this meant that Gabrielle McClough is now going and he could put out a statement and now goes and carries on with his life. It almost felt like it irked Peter Hughes a little bit that there wasn't more he could do. Absolutely, because if Gabrielle McClough hadn't already been set to leave yesterday, which you know is, is was the case, he most definitely would have felt um, stronger reprimand. Um, and Peter Hughes even went as far as to say, while Crown Law um, didn't see it as a sackable offence, it would be his expectation that you know you, you'd at least get an offering of a resignation, whether you accept that or not um, is another question. But at least offer it given um, the severity of the issue and so I think there was a bit of that sort of um, shock and um, uh, and, it, and it very much led the questioning by journalists at the press conference yesterday with Peter Hughes is that um, you know here he is made a, a, a big mistake one that we haven't seen in a very long time uh, and yet basically gets off scot-free and is on his way over to Ireland um, to enjoy his new cosy job so as head of the treasury you did not protect the budget I think even the worse thing than that was um, the finding that he didn't even own the mistake. Yeah, and I loved that um, th- that message that Peter Hughes put out, and he said, um, "I the expectation I have is that you have to um, own the mistake, fix the mistake, and learn from it." He'd and been practicing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a good line. But I also think that that's kind of one of those things that you—that's how we should be holding these guys to account and you do have to own it like we all do if we make mistakes I mean obviously we don't make mistakes so that never applies to us but if you make a mistake you have to own it and then you have to fix it and then you have to learn from it and I think it's something that a really a really clear message not just for Gabrielle McClough but for the rest of the sector and as well. so it was a case of basically a major butt covering exercise mm. and you have to question whether there was some sort of arrogance there if there, if there wasn't that sort of um, taking responsibility um, for that huge mistake. And then even still, once the report came out, Gabriel McClough, um, in the, in the um, findings of the report, it's noted that he rejects um, a lot of the findings. So still sort of thumbing his nose um, to those findings, even you know up to the last minute. And Yeah, and now it means he can go to Ireland. And, and he say, didn't front yesterday, which I mentioned as my pit, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, I guess... It is just one of those things he can now move on and go to Ireland and and kind of carry on a bit. And that's a little bit frustrating from a journalist's point of view, just not being held to and, account. And just something. in terms of the response, you know, people might be one, maybe wondering, I wonder how this will affect him when he goes over to Ireland. We got a statement back um, from Ireland's Department of Finance basically saying um, the report did show he acted in good faith um, and um, that they're, uh, they're looking at this as a one-off incident in, in what is otherwise a stellar career. Um, and he was at Treasury for eight years. So, um, you know, they seem to be taking it rather um, lightly, perhaps you could say. They're not too fussed about it. Well, we'll move on now and talk about the the other big story of the week, which was the euthanasia debate. And um, it was a pretty um, emotional uh, conscience vote that we saw take place. So let's take a look at Kate Nicole williams story on that. 
32-year-old Kylie Black has an incurable connective tissue disease. If she stops treatment, she'll have less than six months to live. I'm a young person. I want to live. I hate the situation I'm in. I'm in it. And I want to fight for life. But now... If euthanasia goes through, I have to fight myself to not choose death. Kylie says the bill's already starting to make people like her feel like a burden. It passed its second hurdle last night after emotional debate. It is awful to think that people are eaten away by something, losing their face, told that one day they could die when the cancer breaks through to their brain. This co-papa deserves another corridor. I'm not saying I'm going to vote for it in the end. The proposed law would allow assisted dying for terminally ill patients with six months left to live or those with a grievous and incurable condition. But the MP behind the bill, David Seymour, knows changes are likely. Well, there's two really significant changes proposed. One is to limit the bill only to people with an illness that is terminal within six months. Uh, the second is to add a referendum. We're making it very clear, it's a referendum or nothing. Campaigner Leslie Martin was imprisoned after she tried to end her terminally ill mother's life in 1999. But she too has concerns. There needs to be specialised counselling before anybody even gets to the point of requesting um, assistance under the legislation. I'm not seeing any of that in this bill. Kylie Black says she wants to see absolute proof that there'll be no chance of a wrongful death and is questioning how that's possible. Many in my community are terrified of the implication of what this means because of all of the subtle and overt pressures that come along with this. What the law should include will now be debated by all MPs and that committee stage could take until Christmas. So I guess the next phase in all of this is it goes to the committee of the whole where they get to thrash it out and make some changes. And through this, we've seen that there haven't been a huge amount of fundamental changes. And those changes that are, will be on the way will be um, New Zealand's first New Zealand first bottom line, which is a referendum, and the Greens bottom line, which is that it will only apply to those who are terminally ill. So those are almost a given that those will be put into the mix. Um, but then there's also Maggie Barry, who's got um, 120 um, SOPs to put in, some or changes to put in, and that's going to take weeks, if not months, of Wednesdays to get through all of that. So I, there's still a lot to thrash out on this and I think that there's also uh, it's yes it's come through the second phase but I don't think it will be I don't think it's a fait accompli that it will go through the third phase I think it'll be there'll be a lot that needs to be thrashed out and MPs will actually get to see the true shape of the bill and what it actually means so I think that 50 to 70 um, may shrink down but we'll see as as things develop and as the bill shapes up. And it is a conscience vote, so obviously individual MPs get to decide for themselves how they'll vote on this, and interesting to see some of the changes in the votes mm. um, just leading up to it. Uh, Judith Collins, obviously we saw in that track, changing her vote to yes, and getting really emotional as she spoke about her father, and we've seen a lot of that emotion come to the fore in Parliament when they've been speaking on this, haven't we? Uh, just from a Māori perspective also, interesting to see Willie Jackson's core on it, um, and I've spoken to him 
him on this um, before, um, but it's a question uh, about tikanga um, protocol and um, whether you know tikanga Māori um, dictates that actually um, it's not the the natural way or um, the natural order of things um, uh, euthanasia. Um, but I think that an interesting point on that is that you know I've been going to um, Wananga a lot lately um, and under Pautemara who is um, a renowned tohunga expert in tikanga Māori and he said that um, you know um, e orai te tikanga me panuni te tikanga in order for um, tikanga to um, survive it needs to be adaptable and develop um, to um, the context and you know the time of the you know the day uh, etc so um, interesting to see how that will be tailored by the Māori MPs um, because I know that they'll be getting lobbied um, I've heard it um, from some of them and so um, on that note also Kiri Tapu Allen changing yeah. her vote to the no um, so her and Judith Collins basically cancelling each other out there um, so a really interesting really emotive issue and it'll be um, in the third reading um, that we'll see how it all shakes down I think also with with conscience votes you do see the rawest form of democracy where you see where MPs actually have to weigh up all of those things that conflict you know their their personal beliefs um what their constituents are saying in their electorates um how how their friends and family are feeling about things their personal experience with with family members and things like that so i do think that um you do with these with these issues like alcohol and um, you know euthanasia and various things that we do conscience votes on it is I think you do see a a more personal side um, to the MPs and it was um, pretty captivating viewing watching that um, play out on the Wednesday night and and seeing that vote come through and I guess also for David Seymour um, a sigh of relief this is this is his baby. He's got a lot of eggs in this basket. And if he's not able to get this through come election year, what have you done, buddy? And, you know, he, he'll have his arguments for that. But I just think if he's got able to get this across the line, that's a big deal um, for him in election year. If he can't, that's also a big deal. So um, there's a lot, lot riding on that for him. And he may also, shall I segue to this? I think I've got one. (laughs) And from David Seymour to the relationship he will need during the election as the National Party, and they have just announced their reshuffle. So let's take a look at that story. And goodbye from Amy Adams. I want my life back. She's a big loss to the party, ranked number three, and if National win the next election, she would have been finance minister. It's been nearly 30 years working at this pace, uh, and I'm tired. And so I just want to now spend a bit more time with my family. This job has been the most incredible privilege. She's also the MP for the Canterbury seat of Selwyn. Very surprised, but um, obviously she's got bigger and better things that she wants to do. I suppose I just thought she'd be there for a longer time. Really? But obviously it suited her to go. She's done her time. She's done it well, I guess. The 48-year-old had a tilt at the leadership last year and lost. This isn't about the politics. It's not about Simon. Simon has my 100% support. If we were in government, if we had a different leader, uh, I think my decision would be much the same. 
Just minutes later, Wairarapa MP Alistair Scott announced he's also off, saying the corporate world is calling. It wouldn't matter if Simon or anyone else was leader. Robert and I decided there were things that we wanted to do and we want to get on with it. Are you concerned about losing two MPs in one day, particularly someone senior like Amy Adams? Uh, no, no, I'm obviously saddened about it. Um, I understand why she's doing uh, it uh, and I wish her all the best. But then it was time to announce his reshuffle. Here are the winners. Paul Goldsmith with the coveted finance portfolio. Jerry Brownlee picks up foreign affairs and will battle Winston Peters. Chris Bishop gets regional development up against Shane Jones. And Brett Hudson picks up police. Judith Collins loses the infrastructure portfolio but stays as fourth-ranked MP. These announcements were orchestrated. Both MPs say they've been thinking about this for a while. Nationals changes come just two days before the government's set to announce its own reshuffle on Thursday. The depth isn't there the way it is with National, the home of natural talent. But come 2020, National will no longer be the home for Amy Adams. So I think the difference we saw between this national reshuffle and the Labour reshuffle is obviously that it was the um, portfolio for finance, which is the big one. So with Amy Adams' um, shock announcement that she's not coming back, that meant um, the cat among the pigeons and a flurry of changes um, for national MPs as well. So some some really interesting little things moving around there. Yeah, good to see um, Paul Goldsmith be rewarded. He's been obviously working, and you've worked a lot, you know, with him and Shane Jones on a lot of the um, regional development stuff. Um, good to see him recognised there and take that um, coveted role. Interesting also to see um, Chris Bishop obviously moving um, into going toe to toe with Shane Jones. Um, Chris Bishop has uh, been doing well in um, his previous portfolio with Stuart Nash on police. I think that he'll be in for a bit of learning um, with Matua Shane um, because as we know he's a master uh, wordsmith, old Shane Jones so um, you know uh, that'll be good because I think that if anyone can rise to that challenge I think it'll be Chris Bishop. I'm listening to Paula Bennett and Shane Jones where they do the, um, the breakfast segment um, in the mornings and um, Paula Bennett said, oh yeah, it's like the young whippersnapper going up against the big slug. <laughs> and I was like, I quite like that line. And Shane Jones did laugh at that, so I feel like he, he took that. But it'll be a really interesting um, interesting battle for those two. And I think that's the thing with when we have these reshuffles, it's not just about who gets the position, but it's who they're pitted against because obviously every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we see them battle it out in question time. And and the way that the personalities mesh together, um, there's usually a lot of mutual respect there, but um, there's a lot of quipping and one-upmanship. Um, and it's always good political theatre, but also really good questioning um, and holding the ministers to account. So he'll have his work cut out for And Chris him. Bishop, you know, we saw in that police portfolio, you know, he he, he puts in the work, he, you know, does the OIAs, he does the, 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 the um, written questions, he does those things well. He gets a lot of sort of little nuggets of information, then he shops it around for stories. He He's yeah. a hustler. And we saw that with um, Paul Goldsmith too in mm -hmm. the PGF, you know, he, he yep. did a lot of that too. So I think that sort of work ethic was, you know, is, 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 is good to see, you know, um, it maintained in that PGF because it's not as um, it is now, um, but it, it's not as um, transparent in terms of that three billion dollar pot as as say um, the issues that you see with Kiwi Building. A lot of that commentary has been made in the last few weeks. Um, 
The other big test, as with Labour's Porto William, will be Brett Hudson, um, who's rather newcomer. Um, and quite and we haven't heard much. Yeah. yeah, we haven't heard much from him. I don't think pe- many people will know much about him. Um, he's obviously taking over from Chris Bishop in that police portfolio, so he'll have a big test ahead of him, and it'll be interesting to see how he goes. Um, just going back to Amy Adams, and perhaps this is a nice way to wrap it up, but I think she is going to be a big loss for them. Um, she was calm, dignified, experienced. Um, and what was really interesting is when she walked out to make her announcement, I've never seen her look um, lighter and um, and happier. She just looked as though a weight had been lifted off her shoulders. And when I talked to her about it later, she said, well, look, it's been, you know, she's known for a while that she wanted to go. And she just said that it was quite a hard thing to keep under wraps, but I think if you if you wanted a signal that it was um, genuine that she was leaving of her own accord, you only had to look at um, the almost visible relief um, from her coming out and doing that. And and I think um, John Campbell commented on it on breakfast the next morning as well, just that she looked relieved. And after twelve years in this place, um, that I, I can understand. It does take a lot out of a person. Yeah, yeah. Um, they put they they. You know these guys, all of them across the whole political spectrum. It's big hours. It's it's um, hard slog, and it is a a public service. And maybe that was a good little reminder. And maybe that's a nice message to leave it with today. Um, so thank you very much for joining us on One News Inside Parliament. It's our weekly catch up about the political stories that we've been covering. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. It's available around this time every week on One News Now, the One News Facebook page, and check us out on your favourite podcasting app. And we'll see you guys next week, Recess Week. Yeah.